Turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Our text today is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But before the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God's help that we would understand what He says to us this morning. Father, You are the God who speaks, but... We do not always have ears to hear you. Father, we, we need you to dig ears for us in, in this clay of our bodies. Would you dig ears for us so that we might hear your voice and then respond to you, drawing near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, uh, fifth grade and younger, come up and join me. It's good to see you all. Yeah, come on up. All right, do you know what this is? Yeah, it's a, it's a puzzle called a Rubik's Cube. And, and it comes like this with all the colors uh, matching uh, everything on the same side, all, all the same colors on the same side. Huh? Well, it is, but it's, it's a clever toy. And seeing it like this, it, it makes me think of how things were before sin entered into the world. Uh, our our first parents, Adam and Eve, were kind of like this when God first made them. Everything about them was the way that it was supposed to be. But then they disobeyed God's word, right? He gave them one rule and they disobeyed it. And sin put everything about them out of order got all mixed up and jumbled. Like it's, it's, still, it's still a cube. That didn't change. But everything about the cube is, is somehow wrong now. Yeah. And that's, this is what sin has done to you and me, too. We are like this cube with all of our squares in all the wrong places. We are disordered. Our lives aren't what they should be. Now, no matter how hard I try... I, I've never been able to solve one of these. I can't put everything the right way. But Silas here, he has read the way. He has studied the plan for how to fix these out-of-order cubes. And he's spent so much time memorizing the way to put it right and practicing it that he knows how to put it right no matter how messed up it got. He is able to reorder everything back to be the way that it's supposed to be. Hey, and listen, while he's working, 
This is all, just like Silas read and practiced the pattern for how to fix that cube, in the passage that we just read, Paul is saying to Timothy that God's Word does that for us. It teaches us the truth about what we should believe and what we should do. God's Word says that we were made by Him. Yes, we were lost to sin, but we're being rescued by Jesus because of His death, because of His resurrection. God's Word tells us, you now belong to God, and He is leading you into a new kind of life in His kingdom. It it, it tells us, uh, His Word tells us what that new life is supposed to look like. He tells us how to reorder everything that sin messed up. But, But more than just teaching us what to believe and do, God is able, God's Word is actually able to put us back together. We, we aren't able to fix ourselves, but God's Word is powerful to actually do the work of transforming us so that over time, we look more and more like we're supposed to. We look more and more like real human beings. In other words, we look more and more like Jesus. So this, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> this is a picture of what God is doing in you through His Word. He is teaching you to believe and to rely on Him, yes. And He is also using His Word to put you back together. And because God, our God gives us His true and powerful Word, that's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks, guys. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. As Sam said, we are approaching the end of a sermon series that we've been in for the last several months, a a series on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, To this point, uh, we have considered our need for salvation. We've considered the person and the work of the Savior. We've We've considered the benefits of his work, and uh, we have considered the way that we receive those benefits. And in brief, we've seen that we need salvation because of sin, and that Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal Son of God himself, become flesh for us, is the only Savior, and that he saves us through his life, death, and resurrection, giving his life as the ransom price of our redemption, then rising again for our justification. And we've seen that the benefits of his work are manifold. They address all of our needs, beginning with our our justification and adoption, but then progressing to our sanctification as we are conformed to the image of Christ, our, our perseverance in that work, and finally our resurrection to glory when we be made perfect in the glorifying and enjoying of God for all eternity. And finally, we have, received, we have seen that we receive those benefits through grace by faith. And now in this last part of this series on salvation, we are considering the means by which God strengthens and sustains that faith. What we call the means of grace. The, the grace that, that strengthens us to persevere in the faith and that will uh, bring us all the way home. And those means, those means of grace are His Word, His sacraments, and prayer. 
And so last Sunday, we began with the Word. We began by looking specifically at the power of the Word. If you were with us last Sunday, you will remember that our, our text was from 1 Peter. And in Peter's first letter, he, he teaches us that, that, yes, we were saved for a purpose. We were saved in order that we might walk in love, that we might walk in this life that God created us for. Love, the life of love, is the life of a disciple. He then showed us that we were purified for that life by the power of the Word. It was the Word that caused us to be born again to new life in Christ. And more than that, it is the Word that is now the pure spiritual milk by which we are being nourished to grow up in that salvation. And so this morning, I, I want us to continue exploring that idea of the, of the Word and the power of the Word. And I want us to specifically look at, at how the Word works. The Word is the power of God for salvation. It is the, the power by which we are born again, the power by which we, we grow. But what exactly does the Word do? How does the Word work? How does it give life? How does it produce this growth? That's the, that's the question. That's the question that we will find answered here in Paul's second letter to Timothy. So let's begin by simply noticing that, that Paul actually speaks about the goal of our salvation in very similar terms to Peter. Peter uh, referred to the fact that we had been saved to a life of Love. Here, uh, Paul uses slightly different language, but it's the same basic idea. Notice how he describes the goal uh, of our salvation. He, he speaks of it as the man of God being complete or, or perfect or, or competent. The, the word gets translated in different ways. Actually, even in the ESV, as it's been uh, edited over the years, the, the word that is used here gets, has been changed because it, it's a word that is difficult to translate into English, but, but at its very basic, this, this word means that we become what we were created to be. We become complete. Sometimes we might use the language of, of mature. We, we, we grow into who God created us to be. In the very beginning, who, who did God intend his image bearers to be? That's what we are becoming. That's what we are being restored uh, to. And he, and he describes that maturity, he describes that completion, that perfection, as being equipped for every good work. The goal, he says, is that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. That we would be prepared to, to do those good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the, the language that Paul uses in his letter to the Ephesians. We are his workmanship. We are being created by God, formed by God. We are being formed for the good works that he has prepared that we should walk in them. This is the continuation uh, that Paul is referring to in verse 14. Look again at what he says. He's speaking to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly Believed. He, he, speak, he was speaking previously of, of those who are going off the rails. You, you see it there uh, at the end. He says, you, however, in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my, uh, my conduct, my aim in, in life and in faith and in patience, my love and my steadfastness, my uh, 
uh, persecutions and my sufferings, he's, he's speaking to Timothy, saying, this is what you have done in contrast to those who are going their own way and doing their own thing and, and walking in unrighteousness, going from bad to, to worse. He says, but you, you have followed my teaching. You have followed the, the pattern of my life, and now you need to continue in that. You need to continue in what you have Learned. You need to continue in what you have believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And so Paul is here calling on Timothy to, to press on towards maturity, to continue the path that he has begun, that, that path towards godliness, that, that path towards being equipped for every good Work. This is the same thing that, that Peter uh, said in his letter, that we have been saved to a life of love, therefore we must now walk in love. We have been saved to, to, to be like God, to, to reflect His character. Obviously we don't become God, but we are to be conformed to His image. We are being to be conformed to, to the pattern of, of, of His life. We are to be restored to image bearers. The image bearers that we were originally created to be. This is what we have been saved to. Salvation is not simply being rescued from the consequences of our sin. It's not simply being rescued from the judgment of God. It is being restored to our full humanity. It is being made complete. Being God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for every good work that he has prepared that we should walk in in it. Is that the desire of your heart this morning? Is that, the, is that what your heart longs for? I think it is. This, is. this is the salvation. This is the salvation that is offered to us in Christ, that we would be restored, that we would become whole. But how? How does that happen? How is Timothy going to be strengthened to continue towards completion, to to continue towards this this thorough equipping that Paul has in mind? Well, he tells us. He tells us how this happened. How is it that we grow up in our salvation? Through the sacred writings. The the sacred writings, what he calls here the, the scriptures. They are the means by which this end, this goal, is to be accomplished. So what does Paul have in mind when he, when he speaks of the, the sacred scriptures or the, or the sacred writings or the, or the scriptures? Well, we, we assume that he's speaking of the, the scriptures. In particular, Paul, being uh, living in the first century before the New Testament was, was complete, is, is probably referring primarily to the Old Testament. He's referring to those Old Testament scriptures that, that God had given to his people through the prophets. But I want you to understand that that already, already here in, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, even before the, all the books of the New Testament have been, have been written, Paul already has the books of the New Testament in mind. We, we see this in, uh, in verse 10. There's just a little bit of a, of a hint there. Notice what he says. He says, you, who, you however, have followed my teaching. <laughs> Paul here is referring to his own teaching, and he, and he tells them then to continue in what you have learned, knowing from whom you have learned it. 
said, you, you learned the gospel from me, now continue in that gospel. So yes, he's, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the, the sacred writings, but already here in the pages of the New Testament, there's a hint that those sacred writings are being expanded to include the writings of the apostles. This is not limited to this text. This is throughout the New Testament. Paul elsewhere refers to his own teaching as the very word of God. Think about what he says to the Thessalonians. He says, I thank God that when you received my teaching, you received it not as the mere words of men, not as just some wisdom that you might uh, glean from and and better your life, but, but you received it as it really is, he says. You received it as the very word of God. Paul understood that his words spoken to the church, were the very words of God. That is why Paul could require his letters written to the churches to be read in the worship service of the people of God. He actually puts them under oath, requiring them to read his letters, and not just to the church that he wrote it to. But he says, hey, share this letter with the other churches and have it read there also. This is God's word for his people. That is already happening in, uh, in the first century. That was already happening even before all the New Testament books have been collected together. And it's not just Paul referring to his own writings. Paul also refers to the Gospel of Luke. He quotes Luke's Gospel as Scripture. He, he quotes it in parallel to the book of Deuteronomy. He takes an Old Testament text and he takes a, a text from the Gospel of Luke and he places them side by side as authoritative for the church. And it's not just Paul quoting his own letters and the, and the Gospels this way, but Peter also uh, refers to uh, the writings that we now know as the New Testament as the Scriptures. He, he speaks of Paul's letters, and, and you know, it's encouraging to have Peter say, you know, some of the things in there are hard to understand, right? You know, he says some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand, and people twist them and distort them to their own destructions as they do the other Scriptures. So the point here is simply to see that when Paul here refers to the the scriptures, yes, he is is referring to the Old Testament. Yes, he's referring to those sacred writings that that Timothy knew when he was a boy. But already uh, that horizon is expanding. Already the the texts of the New Testament are being included. Sometimes you will will hear uh, modern scholars suggest that that it wasn't until about the 4th century that the church got together and decided which books were going to be the New Testament. That is a lie. That is simply a lie. Do not believe it. These words, the words of the New Testament, were received as the very word of God as soon as they were written. They were received as the word of God by the church. And Paul includes them here when he is referring to Timothy and when he is suggesting to Timothy that it is in these words that we have the power of God by which we will be made complete. It is the scriptures that are useful for bringing us to completion. It is the scriptures that are useful for for bringing us to the maturity for which we were created. So how do the scriptures do that? How do the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament together, how does the very word of God written become the power of our salvation? Well, first, notice what he says. He says it it makes us wise for salvation. And then, having made us wise for salvation, 
It teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us. So, so first, it, it makes us wise for salvation. Now this, again, is, is parallel to what Peter said last Sunday about, about the, the Word being the seed, the imperishable seed by which we have been born again. The, the Word is the beginning of life. It's what brings us from death to life. It's what brings us out of the darkness into the light. It makes us wise for salvation. And that word wisdom is, is, uh, is interesting there. What does it mean to be wise for salvation? Well, as we, as we meditate on that, as we, as we reflect on that, we see that the wisdom has to be at least twofold. It is a wisdom regarding ourselves, who we truly are, and it is a wisdom regarding God. In fact, Calvin, in the beginning of his institute, says that these, this knowledge cannot really be separated. We can't know God without knowing ourselves, and we can't know ourselves without, without knowing God. These, these two knowledges are, are woven together. And when Paul speaks of the Scriptures making us wise for salvation, they make us wise by showing us who we are, who God is, and how we might live in relationship to Him. So first, the, the Scriptures make us wise concerning ourselves. Who are we? Who are we? Yes, it, it exposes us as sinners. The Scriptures do that. The Scriptures show you that you are a sinner, fallen short of the glory of God. The Scriptures show you that you are one in need of salvation. The Scriptures show you that, that you are one who, who cannot live the life for which you were created. The Scriptures expose us. But the Scriptures do not merely expose us. They do not merely show our sin. They also show our glory. They also show our dignity. They show that we were created in the image of God, that we are human beings created by God and, and for God, for His glory. They, they show us that potential that is there, that, that, that explains the longing in our heart for something more. And so the Scriptures show us our, our, our fallenness and our glory. And they, and they create in us this desire for salvation. And then they show us the God who can provide us that salvation. This is what the Scriptures primarily do. They make us wise concerning God. Again and again and again, the Scriptures show us first the, the holiness and the, the righteousness of God. They, they show us that He is the Almighty who cannot even look upon sin, who cannot tolerate sin, who cannot leave the guilty unpunished, but who is also the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son to be the sacrifice by which we and all the cosmos would be reconciled to him. This is who God is. He is the Holy One, the Holy, Holy, Holy God of Israel, who in mercy has made us holy that we might be restored to him. This is what it means for the Scriptures to make us wise for salvation. It, it makes us wise considering who we are and who God is. It doesn't leave us to guess. It doesn't leave us to, 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 to create our own identity. It doesn't leave us to imagine God as we might, but it shows us who we are and who God is. And this wisdom that it gives us, it's, it's more 
than just a, a, a knowledge of these truths. It's, it's more than just a cognition. Wisdom is a skill. You see, wisdom is, is an ability to, to live in accord with the truth. It's not just a, an awareness of the truth. It's not just a comprehension of the truth. But wisdom is the skill of living in accord with these truths, of acknowledging God for who he is, of acknowledging who we are before him. And so to make us wise for salvation is to give us a a true picture of who we are and who God is and to empower us, to make us alive, that we might live in accord with that truth. The Word is the power of God that brings us out of darkness into light. It is the power of God that makes those who are dead alive together with Christ. This gospel, this gospel that is foolishness to the world, It is foolishness to the world. And it is weakness in the eyes of so many. And yet it is the power of God and the wisdom of God for the salvation of sinners. But what I want you to see is that it doesn't just make us alive. It then helps us to grow. And it does that by by making us equipped for every good work through teaching, through rebuke, through correction, and through training in righteousness. This is what the Word does. Now when you look at these four four terms that Paul gives us, teaching, rebuke, correction, and and, and training, throughout throughout church history, pastors and, and teachers have seen that these four descriptions can really be divided into two sets. Two sets of words that that have to do with faith and practice. What we believe and and what we do. Teaching and rebuke, they they deal with our faith. First positively and then negatively. And then correcting and training deal with our practice. Again, negatively and then positively. So let's let's look at these words in a little bit more more detail. What does it mean for the scriptures to, to teach? What do you think of when you think of teaching? Well, teaching is is. Making known the truth. We, we already spoke about the, the, uh, the word making us wise for salvation. Open our eyes to who we are and who, who God is. And that is the beginning. But, but as you know, that, that initial knowledge, that initial wisdom is a, is a, a wisdom that, that needs to continue to grow and to expand. So much so that we, we never actually stop learning. We never stop learning more about who God is and more about who we are. Our knowledge of God continues and our, and our knowledge of ourselves continues to expand as we, as we are taught by the Word. That's what the Word does. It, it makes the truth known to us. And that's significant that we're talking about the, the truth. We're talking about the way things actually are. Remember, Satan deals in lies. Satan deals in deception. That is what, that is what he does Because unrighteousness requires darkness. Unrighteousness uh, is to live out of accord with the truth. The reason that unrighteousness always leads to death is because it's not in accord with the way things actually are. God has created the world, and he has has created a a world for shalom, for for, for peace, for for flourishing. And he created us to, to flourish in that flourishing world. And when we live in accord with his truth, things are good. (laughs) It is when we rebel, 
when we get out of step, when we go our own way, that we leave the path of life and we wander off into the ways that lead only to death. Satan deals in lies. Unrighteousness is to walk in the darkness, to walk out of step with the truth. And what the scriptures do is they bring light. They show us the truth. They show us the way things actually are, that we might walk in the way that they go, all the while rebuking or exposing the falsehood and the lies of the world and of our flesh and of, and of Satan. You know the lies that you're tempted to believe. You know the, the, the deceptions that you are, are too uh, eager to uh, surrender to. The scriptures expose that. They, they rebuke the lies. They, they rebuke the lies and they bring light. This is why we spend so much time studying and, and meditating upon the scriptures. Because the scriptures teach rebuking falsehood. Now, the scriptures do not directly answer every question. You, you know that. Scriptures, that's not what the sufficiency of Scripture means. It's, it's been under, misunderstood and misrepresented in uh, recent times. But, but the sufficiency of Scriptures do mean that the Scriptures, the Word of God, are sufficient for life and godliness. They, they teach us what we must know about God and about ourselves in order to live to the praise of His glory. And they give us the foundation to figure out how uh, to live to his glory in our current context. I've often said that the command to love your neighbors is pretty simple. Figuring out what that looks like in practice is anything but. How often have you, you struggled to, to know what's really loving here? How do I really love this person? How do, I, how do I really love my child? How do I really love my spouse? How do I really love my, my coworker? How do I love this person who's, who's struggling with addiction? How do I love this person who's struggling with, with lust? How do I love this person who's struggling with, with anger? We, we struggle sometimes to, to know. And the scriptures give us the foundation upon which we can begin to, to work towards answers. And they give us the framework within which those, those answers can be understood so that through the scriptures we can truly learn to love one another and to love well. They don't give us a, a direct answer all the time. But they position us upon the truth. They, they, they position us in the light so that together with the Spirit of God's wisdom, we can move forward in the truth. This is what it means for the Scriptures to renew our minds, as Paul says in Romans. The Scriptures begin to renew our minds. They begin to renew the eyes with which we see the world. The, 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 the eyes with which we begin to try to answer these questions. The, teach, the Scriptures teach us and they rebuke us. They, they, they show us the truth and they expose the lies. But even here, the scriptures do not stop. For what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? He says, The scriptures renew our minds that they might transform our lives. And he takes that same step here. Having renewed our minds, the scriptures go on to transform our lives, having taught us and, and rebuked us in our faith. They then go on to correct us and train us in righteousness. This has to do with the way we, we live. To, to correct, to correct is to bring something back into line. 
Right? You, can, you can think of all the ways that you've experienced correction in your life. For, for me, my mind always goes to those coaches that I've had in different athletic endeavors over, over the years. Uh, whether it was golf or, or racquetball or soccer, you know, I, I've had coaches who have shown me the correct way. They've shown me the, the way to, to position my body, the way to, to move my body in order to get the, the best results. And inevitably... When you first start, you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> the, the right way isn't the, the immediately natural way. And so the coach has to crush you. No, don't, don't put your hand there. Put it here. Don't bend your back this way. Bend it that way. To, to bring correction is to, is to bring something back into line. Or, or think of a, a master craftsman. You know, working to, uh, to, to make a, a beautiful table or a, a piece of furniture. He's, he's working with his, his apprentice, and his, his apprentice needs to know how to use the tools and how to, uh, to assemble the parts that he has made. And inevitably, it doesn't come naturally. He needs to be corrected, not that way, this way. I think of a parent with a child bringing correction. Parents want their children to grow up to be mature adults and to say, no, no, not that way. You can't throw a fit when you don't get your way. You have to help with the chores around the, the house. And they, they bring correction. They bring things back into line. But they not only expose the falsehood, they not only draw them back, but they are then training them to do it correctly. That's what we see here. The, the word corrects. And it trains. It, it trains us for righteousness. Now, again, that's what coaches are doing. They're, they're training. They're, they're not only correcting, they're, they're training to do it the right way. Training is the preparation that makes the doing possible. And what I want you to see is that it is the Scriptures that train us. We sometimes think that we study the Scriptures in order to learn what we're supposed to do, and then we are just sort of have to go out and do it ourselves. And there's a sense, of course, in which that is correct. Paul says in, in Colossians two, chapter 2 that having received Jesus the Lord, we now must walk in Him. We've, we've received Him, we received the truth concerning who Jesus is, and now we must live in accord with that truth. But, but Paul's emphasis here is, is slightly different. Paul wants us to see the Scriptures themselves, the truth that we have received, as correct and training us. The scriptures themselves have a transformative power. These are not merely the words of humans. These are not merely instructions for how to live. This is the living and active word of God. This word is alive. This word is powerful. And as we submit to it, we are changed by it. And again, that that will boggle your mind if you just pause and, and think about it. Words are, as powerful, we don't think that way. We think we apply the power. We've, we've received the words, we've received the knowledge, now we apply the power. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying these words are powerful. These words bring transformation. As we study when, uh, the, the word, as we meditate upon the word, as we let it fill us up with, with humble faith and love, it works on us. It changes us. It corrects us. It, it trains us. Studying and meditating on the Word is, is not merely an intellectual exercise because God's Word is not mere human words. It is the very Word of God. The Word that called into existence that which previously did not exist is now calling into you maturity. 
that was not previously there. That's what the Word does. Now again, this doesn't mean that the, the Word is some sort of magical formula that, that works automatically. We, we see that here. Paul speaks about the Word working through faith. He, he, he says it there in, um, at the end of verse 15. He says, you know... Um, Uh, How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The word works with and and through faith. It's it's suggested by that phrase, the the man of God. The word makes the man of God equipped for salvation. The, The man who has received and rested upon Jesus Christ, this is the one who is trained and equipped so, it is, so the Word works with and through faith. It doesn't work automatically. It doesn't work magically, but it works. It is powerful. It is creative. It is transformative. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that if you will receive the biblical call to love with humility and faith, and if you will meditate upon that, in the, in the presence of God, in, in the name of Jesus, all asking for the power of the Spirit to understand and, and bring forth the fruit of the Word, it will work. If you receive the biblical call to love with humility and faith, it will make you loving. Not all at once. It doesn't work all at once. It doesn't, it doesn't transform you in a day. We know how, how painfully slow the progress can be sometimes. The Word works. It transforms. You are not who you were five years ago or, or, or ten years ago. I can look back at my own life and I can see, you know what, I still struggle in so many of the same areas that I struggled when I was 20. I still struggle with pride. I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with the, the same things that I've always been struggling with, but the struggle doesn't look the same today as it did. Why? Because God has been at work through his word. The word works. If you receive the biblical call to generosity with humility and faith, if you will let that word dwell in you richly, it will change you. It will begin to make you generous. If you receive the biblical call to to faithfulness with with humility and, and faith, it will make you faithful. The word works. You see, we, we wonder, how could I possibly live this out? How can I possibly put this into to practice? And we're thinking about God's words as if they were mere human words, and now the, the power came from us. But that's not what Paul is saying. The word of God is powerful. The word of God corrects. The word of God trains. And as the word works in you by and through faith in Jesus Christ, the word transforms. And therefore, what you are being called to this morning is this. You are being called to receive the word with humility and faith. You are being called to let it dwell in you richly. Read it. Put yourself under the preaching of it. Meditate upon it. We're going to be coming back to those ideas next Sunday as we, as we reflect more fully upon our use of the Word. But as we prepare to hear and understand how we use the Word, we need to understand the power of the Word and how it works in us. Because this Word that we are being called to use, this Word that we are being called to meditate on, it is not mere human wisdom. It is not another yet another self-help book. How many self-help books have you read and never put into practice? How many self-help books have you read and, and, and they had nothing to, to do with your life? I read a book this summer about waking up at 5 a.m. That's not happening. 
Word of God is different. It's not a human self-help book. This is the creative, powerful, transforming Word of God. And because God himself does the work of transformation through his powerful word, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your living, active, powerful, transforming, correcting, rebuking, training word. Father God, may your word do its work in us. Give us the faith to receive it with humility and love, Father, that we might be transformed by it and that we might bring forth its fruit in abundance to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.